0: Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot
1: If you're an athlete, you know the greatest motivator of all is the fear of letting your teammates down. After all, a team is only as good as its weakest link. So you owe it to those wearing the same Jersey as you to be your best. Every time you step on the field, that's why there's no vape in team. When you vape, Good evening, listener. You're listening to Chilling Tales for Dark Nights. On tonight's edition, we invite you to leave behind your safe reality and descend with us into the frightening depths of the most terrifying imaginations with two audio adaptations of frightening fiction about technological traps and digital death. I'm your host of the evening, Steve Taylor, and tonight I'll be your guide as we traverse the dimly lit corridors of your darkest dreams. Joining us tonight to help bring to life the frightening fiction of Reddit user Flodo McFloodyloo and Sir Ulrich Von Lichten are voice talent Steve Gray, Eric Peabody, and Kyle Stroud. Now, get your ticket ready. Take your seat in our theater of the minds, and brace yourself, it's time to turn off the lights, and turn on the dark. Our first tale of the evening is written by reddit user Floto McFloodyloo, and is performed by Steve Gray. Our main character learns life's biggest lessons, the hard way. Without further ado, I present to you, I found a video game that shouldn't be real and I think it's going to kill me.
2: I don't exactly know how to start this. I could get philosophical and talk about how I'm being haunted by my whole worldview shaking but that would be getting ahead of myself. I may be dead soon, so I won't waste time with articulation. I must merely relay my experience as I experienced it to the best of my ability. It started around a half a month ago. I was looking for a temp job and saw an ad asking for someone who could come over and care for a very special eel. The ad's poster, Igor, would be going on vacation for around two weeks and he was willing to hire even someone with no experience and train that person upon meeting. I know virtually nothing about fish, but I am very responsible with pets, so I contacted him saying that. In a surprisingly short amount of time, he replied and invited me over. Igor Seligman lived a bit on the outskirts of town in a fairly large house that looked like it could feasibly have had three floors, but had only two. I suspected he was fairly wealthy and that he'd already done a lot of traveling, considering his house was full of exotic decorations that seemed like they came from other countries, which I mostly didn't know some paintings. So a standard yuppie house. But then midway through the living room, with a decorous mahogany table between it and the kitchen, was a towering home aquarium, wherein dealt my source of income for the next two weeks. Igor's eel. MacGyver was a dark brown fellow with big but vacuous eyes. A surprisingly drab-looking fish compared to what you may expect from such a meticulously decorated home. There was also nothing exotic about caring for MacGyver, but I know little about fish, so I was fine with the easy load. I mostly had to get a frozen shrimp out of the freezer and drop it in his tank. Igor gave me the number of a fish vet to call if MacGyver didn't eat for a while. Fish vets are a thing, apparently, but he said there would likely be no issues there. I was surprised by how soon Igor planned to leave on his trip after hiring me and handing me the key. The next week, I went over my first shift. It couldn't have been even five minutes of my time taking a shrimp from the freezer and feeding it to MacGyver, and as Mr. Seligman had suspected, the eel had a normal appetite. I left soon afterward, which was about as eventful as I expected this to get for the whole time of Igor's trip. On the second day, though, things had been going badly for me. I had to run several errands, got stuck in traffic, and then had to stand in line at the post office. So after rushing over to Mr. Seligman's house right after, I was in the mood to just sit and chill for a while. I gave MacGyver his shrimp, the eel this time swimming up near the surface in anticipation and then slumped on the couch. There was no TV, though, so I got bored and decided to look around the house. Probably unprofessional, but this house was interesting, if only because much in it was unusual. And so I went through several rooms full of souvenirs. I found one unusual door in one of the two halls from the living room. Unlike the others, it was covered with paper paraphernalia, a Jurassic Park poster, a photo of a children's soccer team, some rather average colored pencil drawings of the Power Rangers, Woody, and Buzz from Toy Story, and a sign with stylized colored letters reading, Ike's Room. The door stood out, not just for its unique decoration, but because this looked like a typical kids' room door, and Mr. Sligman had never mentioned having any children. It was feasible that Ike was merely at school or somewhere else when Igor met and hired me, but I'm confident that when Igor described his vacation plans to me, he always used the pronoun I and not we. Also, he just seemed like he wasn't the sort of man to have children. But I wasn't pondering too deeply about this. I was simply curious, so I went in against what should have been my better judgment. A cloud of dust wafted up from the carpet as I strolled in, and I teared up a bit. I only noticed dust on that carpet and the bed as it rose up. But on harder surfaces, such as a few cabinets, some cans of things, and a mirror, it rendered what had once been glossy and colorful into a dull whitish color. At least I didn't notice any spider webs, but I wouldn't have been surprised to see them. Whoever Ike was, it seemed he hadn't been home for quite a while. I wasn't sure why, but somehow this depressed me a lot. I'm not a judgmental man, but if pushed, I won't deny that my tastes are more along the lines of this one bedroom, so full of youthful vigor and popular culture than the rest of the house with its prominent, but to me, rather meaningless displays of high culture. And so seeing this be the one part of the house that was not kept in immaculate condition may have been what saddened me. So I decided I would fix things up. I had no intention of raiding Igor's closets looking for cleaning supplies, but the next day I brought my own vacuum cleaner, a face mask, and some wet wipes to the house. This time, shortly after I opened the door, MacGyver came to the surface of his tank and looked in my direction. And even after feeding him, he seemed a bit interested in what I was doing. I went back to Ike's room, put the mask over my mouth and nose and started using the wet wipes to wipe off the dust off every hard surface I saw. I had just wiped off an old TV set on a cabinet and proceeded to dust off a stack of boxes down below when I uncovered something that shocked me. Staring out at me, newly dust free, was a copy of Sonic Extreme for the Sega Saturn. No way, that game doesn't exist. It had been in development, but it was simply too ahead of its time and cancelled. I looked around, and sure enough, nearby, angled away, but still connected to the TV, was the ill-fated Sega Saturn console, a black rounded rectangle slab with a disc drive on top. I collected my thoughts and started wiping the dust from the console, letting shine its glossy black sheen of the sort Sega so loved in the 1990s. As I did that, and moved on to the rest of the furniture, I started to rationalize the anomalous game. It must have been a bootleg sold at a flea market, likely using the name of a cancelled game to con someone into buying something else. As based on what I've read, Sonic Extreme wouldn't even have worked on Saturn, at least not without the sort of slowdown that would have ruined a Sonic game. Yet I was still rather interested in playing it. So I finished cleaning off the dust, threw away the wipes, with MacGyver coming out to see me as I walked into the kitchen and then vacuumed the carpet in Ike's room. Then, I put the game in the Sega Saturn, was pleased to discover that both it and the TV still worked, and began to play Sonic Extreme. And it was! Everything I had seen and heard about Sonic Extreme, which wasn't a lot at the time it was being made, but increased as its alumni told their stories on the internet, was in this game. You could play as Sonic, Tails, Knuckles, and Tiara. Bubowski, a Sonic character never seen before or since. And for some characters, the camera would get a fisheye lens effect. It was a colorful game with fantastic music, and I reveled in being a rare person who has played this lost game for some factors I could not explain. For a while, by now, it's an old joke among anyone who is even a little bit familiar with the Sonic the Hedgehog series that it has had a rough start since going 3D. While some of the 3D Sonic games have a dedicated following, others are generally regarded as ranging from only sectionally good to terrible on many levels. This game I was playing, though not broken, was still a product of its time. It was made before people at Sega had clear insight into how to make a Sonic game in 3D. Also, at a time when merely being 3D was such a novelty, people might overlook that this didn't feel like a Sonic game in many cases. While its frame rate did not drop much, the level design didn't facilitate going fast, and as such, I grew a bit bored with it, as it paled compared to several Sonic games made both before and after it. I intended to finish it eventually, but needed a break, so I decided to look through the other games in the sack. The next game there was Rayman, the original one that was also on PlayStation 1 good game, but it's one I've played already. So I went, and again was surprised to see a game called Rowdy Rodney. I'd never heard of this game, but I certainly recognized Rodney himself, a white wing-tipped suit like in some kung fu movies, the late 80s, early 90s flat-top hairdo, and a bandage on his cheek. His mouth was open in an angry expression as he kicked down a door toward the viewer. His foot seemed oversized due to perspective, and he held a folding chair in one hand. This Rodney guy looked exactly like Kunio-kun, the mascot of the late Technos company, which got renamed in foreign releases of his games. In the rare cases, they got foreign releases. Sure enough, the Technos logo was there in the lower left of the box. I had never heard of this game, or whatever it had been called in Japan, so I turned it over to look at the screenshots on the back and got an even greater shock. This game was in primitive, mid-1990s 3D, And at the bottom, I saw a copyright record from 1998. But Technos had gone bankrupt in 1996. How did this exist? I leaned back and looked around the room, almost as if I was expecting some paranormal entity to be watching me. I looked back at the games in front of me, verifying that Sonic Extreme and Rowdy Rodney were real and present, and accepted what must be happening. Reality must be glitching, so to speak, and whatever that meant. I had somehow stumbled into an alternate universe, or perhaps a piece of it had stumbled into my universe, or perhaps someone had brought some video games back from an alternate reality. Thinking this, I got up and walked into the living room, MacGyver again swimming out to greet me, and looked at all the odd decorations. I had figured that the Seligmans did a lot of travel abroad, but what if it wasn't just to foreign countries? What if they somehow traversed dimensions? You know what? I thought. That's awesome! I could imagine a lot of terrible alternate universes where something had gone horribly wrong and so I personally wouldn't risk traveling between them. But these Seligmans knew how to play it safe and brought back interesting things from alternate universes. I was already fantasizing about what other sort of video games would exist in those alternate realities. Was there a reality where Sega hadn't exited the console race or even Atari hadn't? Or what about one where Nintendo had never entered the console race? An alternate reality where Rareware had made 12 Tales, Conquer 64 or Dream? What about one where Nintendo never sold them and we got Banjo-Kazooie 3 on the GameCube? I was salivating about what games existed across the multiverse and how some could even be stored somewhere in this house. But though I'd already been way too nosy, I resolved to draw the line before rummaging through anything closed here. Besides, there was a fair amount more Sega Saturn games in that stack, so I went back to Ike's room. I examined more of the games in the stack. Beneath Rowdy Rodney was Bug, a game that existed in this universe, though it had been mostly forgotten. Next was a jet fighter combat game called Eagles on the Edge, then what looked like a JRPG starring a Manako-Nako-like character, entitled Pecrovius both of which I had never heard of. I attempted to look up these games on my phone to see if they were more than almost existed in this universe, but it couldn't access the internet from here, so I'd save that for later. I kept looking through these games and found one that shocked me and made me start laughing out loud. Smirking at me from the box art was a face I hadn't seen since the 1990s and hadn't exactly hoped to see again. It was Joe Camel. For a time, the ostensibly cool mascot of Camel Cigarettes, and only retired on government orders because he appealed mostly to children. I never really examined statistics about all that. Still, there was no doubt that Joe existed to forge an association between cool things and smoking Camel Cigarettes. It may well have been that video games being infected by that campaign was a bullet our universe only narrowly dodged. Yet, here was a glimpse of what might have been in a grimmer reality, A game entitled Joe Camel in the Mystery of Menthol Mountain. Unlike the last few unfamiliar games I had gone through, I couldn't just stop at a glimpse of this one, so I popped it in the Saturn and began. To my surprise, this game was great! It opened with a 3D music video of Joe Camel singing a catchy song in his band, The Hard Pack. Then the plot began, about how The Hard Pack were about to go on tour but had not returned from a trip to Menthol Mountain. It was up to Joe Camel to smoke his way through an epic and surreal quest to find Rescue Them. As Joe ventured up Menthol Mountain, he discovered a cave, and after entering it, he found himself in a room full of doors, most of which were locked, but one which could be entered. You might be thinking this was another game like Super Mario 64, what with levels being accessed via a 3D overworld, it sort of was, but this game had more of a combat component with various melee weapons such as switchblades, chains, and pool cues, and some projectiles like a revolver and a flamethrower. Various styles of camel cigarettes could be smoked to give Joe special powers. For example, camelites made Joe jump higher, and Turkish gold increased the range and damage of projectiles. Joe could ride a motorcycle too. Oh, and as you might guess, cigarettes were also involved. The levels of this game were also really cool many exploring environmental archetypes that most other games don't, such as Monument Valley in the American Southwest, the Ottoman Empire, and a tobacco farm in Virginia, plus many surreal colors. The music was killer, more of the bluesy stuff that the hardpack band had played at the start, plus some great ambient music. There also seemed to be some inexplicable strobe effect in the game, and some might have found that obnoxious, but I didn't mind. I figured that maybe this was a result of an old disc getting damaged and I worried the whole game would break, but it never did. To put it shortly, I was hooked on this game. When I first saw it, I only wanted to play it so I could laugh at something embarrassingly stupid, but it turned out to be an incredibly well-made and creative game, and I craved the surprises and sensory stimulation that seemed to lie around every corner. So that week and the next flew by. I looked forward to every day going to feed MacGyver, who by now had grown quite friendly toward me, and then playing more of Joe Camel's exotic adventures. On Monday of the second week, I stopped at a gas station on the way to Igor Seligman's house, and when I saw a pack of Camel cigarettes on the rack, I smiled, laughed even. I had some reservations, but then I figured, "Eh, what the hell. I don't have an addictive personality, except when it comes to fantastic video games. And as Stewie Griffin once said, What doesn't cause cancer these days? So I threw caution to the wind, bought a pack, and lit up. I'd never smoked before, and maybe this is just because that game had made the act seem more amusing. But I enjoyed it. I would celebrate each shift with a camel before entering Igor's house, and sometimes afterwards. Sometimes I even smoked them at home. And so I went for the rest of the week. I was sad when Igor Seligman returned home, as I hadn't quite finished Joe Camel in the Mystery of Minthaw Mountain. As Igor paid me a fairly generous sum for the odd task of feeding his eel for two weeks, I said, thanks, hey, I have a question. Igor invited me to go on, and I had intended to ask if I could keep coming over to finish the game, but then I realized what asking this would entail. I would have to admit to Mr. Seligman that I had gone exploring in his house. Or to be more honest snooping i had found ike's room his sega saturn and his exotic video games and most troubling i had suspected the seligmans of doing some sort of interdimensional travel as i considered all that i decided not but with igor prompting me to continue i figured i had to say something so i continued do you have any children igor abruptly frowned as he said no You saw Ike's room while going to the bathroom, didn't you? Yes, that's right, I said, glad to grab onto the tame alibi he'd given me. Igor then gave me an explanation I wasn't ready for, not even after all my suspicions of multiverse hopping. You see, Ike was my older brother. He and I weren't very similar, but I loved him. He was the sort that was impossible not to love. Sadly, he died of cancer. Tragically young. I had never heard of someone dying of it that young, but Ike did love his cigarettes. We all have our faults. He was just more deadly than usual. When he was close to the end, he made me promise to take care of MacGyver. You couldn't believe a kid could love an eel so much, but he did, and I think MacGyver even loved him back. It's still too sad for me to go into Ike's room. But I apologize, I've gone on too long and made you sad. Good luck in whatever you've got ahead." I thanked Mr. Seligman, doing my best not to show how uneasy I'd become, and left the place shaking with fear so much that I barely managed to drive home without an accident. Good luck? Yes, I was going to need it. Here I had been, ecstatic at discovering that not only was traveling the multiverse a real thing. But someone had brought back souvenirs from an exotic alternate universe cooler than mine. But looks can be deceiving, for it seems that, in this alternate universe, Big Tobacco had discovered perhaps the most insidious way to push their poisonous products onto people, making them seem irresistibly awesome. One poor child had to pay the ultimate price, no, more likely many had, in that horrific alternate universe that should not exist, and horribly, the foul artifact of that universe had made it into ours. And now, even as I mourn this revelation, I can't stop smoking. I need to get help about this. But just in case I don't live much longer, I'm leaving this record of what happened. A record poor Ike didn't manage to leave. Or if he did, I didn't see it. I wish I could post this recount right by the aging Sega Saturn to warn anyone about this game. Of course, if I ever had the opportunity to go back there, I might just destroy the game. But seeing as I can't stop smoking, I ask myself, would I? Or would I just resume playing that evil game again? I fear it is so. Maybe it's too late for me, but it's not too late for anyone reading this. Don't play a game starring Joe Camel, or it is you who will be played. Don't smoke camels or it is you who will be smoked. And if you ever manage to figure out multiverse travel for yourself, be weary of what you bring back into this universe.
4: You can live out your MasterChef dreams
0: Download the free Angie Mobile app today or visit angie.com That’s anngi.com
1: I hope you enjoyed. I found a video game that shouldn’t be real, and I think it’s going to kill me, as written by Reddit user Floto McFloodylo and voiced by Steve Gray. Steve Gray has appeared on the Chilling Tales for Dark Nights channel for several titles, including Jeff the Killer, Snow Angels, Sirens, etc., and has also written original works such as Bestial, The Rails, and The Vampire Testament. Steve is very experienced in audio and graphics work and has original audiobook titles on Amazon, Audible and Apple Music. And find more of Steve Gray's original music on Spotify, iHeartRadio, Amazon Music and other streaming services. Our second tale of the evening is written by Sir Ulrich von Lichten and performed by Eric Peabody and Kyle Stroud. The advancements of video game graphics are improving all the time. Beads of sweat on your avatar's face as they kick the boss's ass is a long way from the pixelated pong game we knew as kids. And with the introduction of virtual reality, immersion has never been better. Until now. But as we see in our next tale, some things are better left alone. Now without further ado, I present to you... I used to love fighting games
3: until one terrified me. I used to love fighting games until my friend brought over a video game that terrified me. I hadn't seen my friend Joseph in over four years. The last time I saw him was when I dropped him off at Chicago O'Hare International Airport. He was taking an airplane straight to Japan... After years of trying, Joseph finally managed to get a work visa and would teach English in Tokyo. Going to Japan had always been Joseph's lifelong dream. When I saw him walking toward the airport, he was bouncing on his feet. He was so happy he almost looked like he was floating. Floating like a cartoon character who had just smelled a delicious pie sitting on an open windowsill and was now hovering towards it. Before walking through the sliding doors, Joseph turned towards me and gave me a wave. Bright, wet tears glinted around the edges of his eyes, but they were tears of pure joy. He looked like a man who was finally about to start the rest of his life. I waved back at my friend and watched him walk away. The man who returned four years later resembled a tattered scarecrow more than he resembled my friend. It was Joseph who introduced me to fighting games. This was back when Joseph and I were 12 years old. At the time, I was only aware of a few fighting games. Mortal Kombat, which I had only played briefly when I was very young but I loved the movie, and the Nintendo games Super Smash Bros and Super Smash Bros Melee, which I had dabbled in. Smash isn't a fighting game, Joseph said to me one day, although Melee isn't bad. Joseph introduced me to games like Tekken, Street Fighter, Marvel vs. Capcom, King of Fighters, Dead or Alive, Virtua Fighter, etc. Even at such a young age, Joseph was already a connoisseur of fighting games and talked about them the way a pretentious film student might talk about French films. When he found a fighting game he liked, he obsessed over it and made it a part of his personality. Joseph adored fighting games, knew them front to back. He didn't even play them with a controller he played them with a fight stick which was essentially a portable arcade setup i had tried it once but it hurt my fingers using it but joseph played that fight stick like a maestro pianist played some grand concert sometimes i would just listen as he played listen to the soft clackety clack of the buttons it really was like music It was Joseph who taught me that fighting games weren't just games where you mindlessly mashed buttons on your controller until either you or your opponent's health was depleted. No, Joseph showed me that fighting games were more sophisticated than that. Fighting games are like chess, Joseph told me one day after trouncing me in Tekken 4. It's all about
4: anticipating your opponent's next three moves, conditioning them to think you're going to do one thing, and then you do the other. It's about patience and timing. Don't just attack. Don't just think about what you're doing. Think about what I'm doing. I want to do sick combos like you, Joe, I had said. When are you going to teach me that? Combos are like the icing on the cake, dude, Joseph
3: said, slapping me on the back. But you have to learn how to bake the cake first. I never became quite as passionate about fighting games as Joseph. Maybe I would have, if not for the bowling alley incident. A couple years later, when Joseph and I entered high school, we finally decided to go to a local fighting game tournament. It was the first time we had ever gone to a local. I was shocked when Joseph said that he had never been to one before, but he simply shrugged. First time for everything, dude. Joseph was going out with a girl named Kathy at the time, and she accompanied us to the local. Kathy didn't care much for fighting games at all but she wanted to go to support Joseph. The tournament occurred in a room in the back of a bowling alley. As we walked into the room, I immediately felt something was wrong. I had a feeling that one might have when walking straight into a lion's den with freshly cut meat hanging around their neck. Joseph and I had both signed up for the street fighter pool. Joseph's first opponent was a man much older than us, He had terrible hygiene and wore a stained gray tank top and camo cargo shorts. He had a greasy-looking face, and he smelled horrible too. But it was the look on his face that shocked me. He looked relentlessly angry for no reason at all. And more than once, I saw him leer at Kathy with his angry, pinched eyes. Kathy was the only girl there. The man called himself Clyde, although he spelled the E with a three. This should be easy, Clyde said. Love breaking in the newbies, fucking piece of cake. But Clyde never got a chance to do any breaking in because Joseph completely trounced him. A clean 2-0 sweep. It had never been close either. Joseph handled him like a pro baseball player taking pitches from a little leaguer. Clyde never stood a chance. There was a look of utter shock on everyone's faces, as apparently, Clyde had been one of the better players in the pool, the favorite to win the whole thing, and now he was going to the loser's bracket. Good game, Joseph said to Clyde, reaching his hand out. I grimaced, thinking how horrible it must feel to shake Clyde's greasy hand. Whatever, Clyde said, turning away from Joseph's outstretched hand like it was diseased. He got up and threw his controller on the ground.
1: Fucking beginner's luck, asshole. I fucking hate this game. I hate the way you play.
0: That
3: was amazing, Kathy said, wrapping her arms around Joseph. You were so good. Fuck you, cunt, Clyde said, and his words cut through the air. There was a moment of shocked silence. I had expected the other older players in the room to stand up and say something, but most just looked down or away. Some were saying obscene things about Kathy. Others even snickered and muttered under their breaths. What did you say? Joseph said. And for the first time in my life, I saw pure rage on his face. Rage like I had never seen before.
0: Joe, just leave it.
3: Kathy said. Yeah, just leave it, Jojo, Clyde said, and a ghoulish grin crossed his face. He made an obscene jerk-off motion with his hand.
1: Listen to your county girl.
3: Clyde was older than us, but Joseph was tall for his age. Joseph's fist shot out and connected with Clyde's dumb face. Clyde stumbled back, and for a moment, his angry, greasy face was replaced by one of pure shock. Then the anger returned and the brawl started. We walked out of the horrible smelling bowling alley with our heads hung low. The bowling alley manager, a bald man named Todd, who smelled like old cigarettes, came in and broke up the fight. When asked who was responsible, Clyde and all the other players in the room pointed at us. Todd told us that we were banned for life from ever coming back and wouldn't listen to our protests. I never even got to fight my match." On our walk home that night, Kathy had tried apologizing to Joseph, but he assured her that she had done nothing wrong, that he was sorry that he had let his anger get the best of him, that he was sorry she had been called those things, and that he was sorry for even suggesting they go to the local tourney. Kathy accepted everything Joseph said graciously, but their relationship was never quite the same and they broke up a few weeks later. That night left a bad taste in my mouth that would never quite leave. My experience with fighting games had been nothing but positive until that point. I had expected the local tournament to be a fun experience, a place where we could hang out with like-minded individuals, make new friends. But the other players at the tournament seemed shrewd, mean-spirited, and very angry. But angry at what? The world? What were they all so damn angry about? I couldn't stop seeing Clyde's horrible, pinched face. Fighting games are awesome, Joseph had said that night. But man, some of the players suck. Joseph had kept in contact pretty frequently during his first year in Japan. He would send me emails and WhatsApp texts, discussing the cultural differences between Japan and the USA. He would tell me how he thought his school co-workers hated him, but his class loved him. He would describe to me in great detail all the delicious foods he was eating, the amazing walks he would go on at night, how much he truly loved it there. And yes, he would also send me videos of him playing fighting games, many of which had never even gotten a US release. It's like heaven over here, dude, Joseph said to me in a text one day. Fighting game Nirvana. I started to lose contact with Joseph. His emails became less frequent, and it was usually only a sentence or two when he replied to me. Sometimes even less. Doing good. Yeah, that's cool. Okay, sounds good.
4: Sure. Yeah, I'm good.
3: Yep. By 2020, I had lost contact with him completely. He didn't have any family left in the town I lived in, and I didn't know anyone else in Japan who could check on him or tell me how he was. The last email he sent before he completely stopped contacting me was only one sentence. I think I found a really good fighting game. It was in late February when Joseph contacted me. Two years since I had last heard from him. When I saw the email in my inbox, I almost didn't believe it was real. The contents of the email were sparse. He was coming back to the US in March and wanted to know if he could stay at my place when he came back. He had changed numbers and was sorry for not being in touch more. I replied that he absolutely could stay at my place and asked him how he was. His only response was the date he'd be coming to town. I shot him an email offering to pick him up from Chicago O'Hare, but he said he would take the bus into town instead. Oh, and that he couldn't wait to play a new fighting game with me. It was on March 16th that I saw Joseph again. I was waiting at the bus stop when around 8pm, a long, tired-looking Greyhound bus pulled in. I watched as the passengers disembarked and retrieved their luggage. There weren't many people. A couple of college kids, an older couple, a man dressed in a fine business suit. The last person to get off the bus was a rail-thin man who wore all black. He had greasy, slicked back hair, sunken eyes, and a pale face. I was confused because I was sure Joseph said he would be on the eight o'clock bus, but my friend was nowhere to be found. Then, after retrieving his luggage, the man with the greasy, slicked back hair waved at me. It was Joseph. When Joseph began walking toward me, I almost fainted. He looked nothing like the man I had dropped off at the airport four years ago. Instead, he looked like some pallid scarecrow slowly descending upon me. He had always been a skinny guy, but now he was skeletal. And the clothes he was wearing, a black sweatshirt with a black tee underneath, black jeans, and black boots, were in contrast to the colorful jackets and shirts he used to wear and deep purple bags were under his eyes like he hadn't slept in days. But when he smiled and held out his arms for a hug, there was still a ghost of the old Joseph in there, which put me at ease a little, but only a little. Long time no see, dude, Joseph said with a sickly grin. His voice was hoarse, like he had been at a concert the night before, screaming his lungs out. We embraced. On the car ride, we exchanged the normal pleasantries and talked the usual talk of two friends who had become strangers, trying to find a rhythm with each other again. Like two bandmates who had not played with each other for years, we were trying to slip back into old ways when the music had been good. And then Joseph explained that he had gotten really busy with work, the pandemic and everything going on and that he had simply lost touch. You know how it is, right dude? Joseph said. Sure. Yeah, I get that. No worries, man." Oh, I'm not worried. Joseph responded curtly, and there was a defensiveness to his voice that I had never heard before. Far from it.
4: I'm done working overseas now. I got something big planned.
3: Yes, sir. Really? Like what? I asked, genuinely curious. Joseph had yet to explain what work, if any work, he'd be doing now that he was back in the States. Ah, you'll see," Joseph said, and there was a devilish gleam in his eyes. I merely nodded bemusedly. So, tell me about this new fighting game, I said. The devilish gleam in Joseph's eyes was gone instantly. It was replaced with what I can only describe as the look of a starving man who has now come across an all-you-can-eat buffet. Only, it's not really a buffet. It's three-day-old roadkill. But to a starving man, what's the difference? It was a ferociously hungry look. Wait until you see it, my man. Just wait until you see. We stopped at a gas station. I filled up, and then Joseph said he wanted to go in to grab a Red Bull and some snacks. I offered to buy it, and we both went in together. After we had gathered the goods, we waited in line at the register. An older customer was talking to a young man behind the counter. They had an easy-going repertoire with each other. If Joseph and I had sounded like bandmates who were out of practice, then these two sounded like bandmates who played nightly gigs together. I was instantly aware that the old man must be a regular at the gas station. The old man was holding up the line, but I had no problem with letting him finish his conversation. The conversation they were having was actually quite funny and I was beginning to laugh myself. Hey, you old fuck, can you hurry it up? I turned to Joseph, shocked. He was glaring at the old man, leering at him. It reminded me in many ways of how Clyde had leered at Kathy all those years ago, and Joseph was wearing that same angry, pinched face. Dude, not cool, I began to say, but Joseph pushed past me, The red bull he had been holding was now in a grip as if he meant to swing it at any second. If you're not buying anything, then get the fuck out of line, Joseph continued. People in the gas station were looking at us now. The old man simply looked down, ashamed, as if he'd been caught doing something bad. I'm sorry, the old man said weakly. Just like talking with my pal here. I don't fucking care, Joseph said. Get out of line, now." The old man moved aside. The young man behind the counter looked like he wanted to say something, but simply mumbled something under his breath. I paid him for our drinks and snacks, and then walked out of the gas station, more embarrassed than I'd ever been. "'Fucking cunts, am I right?' Joseph said when we got back in the car. "'Uh, sure,' I said, like an idiot. I was too embarrassed to say anything else, and honestly too intimidated to challenge Joseph in any way. Joseph had always been an agreeable person. We had hardly ever gotten into fights as kids. I mean, how could you fight with Joseph? He had always been so cool, so chill. The idea of disagreeing with him felt wrong, even now when he was acting like a stranger and he was still holding the Red Bull in a death grip. Are you ready? Joseph was sitting cross-legged in the middle of my apartment. He had barely taken time to get situated. He simply threw his luggage in one corner of the living room and then pulled a white square slip out of his sweatshirt. ''Is that it?'' I asked, pointing at the white slip. ''The fighting game I've been hearing so much about?'' ''Sure is,'' Joseph said. He put his hands into the white slip and produced a grey disc. There was no cover art on the disc, no logo. The only thing on the front of the disc were two words written crudely in black marker. It read, fighting game. Seriously, it's called fighting game? I said, trying to hold back laughter, but I didn't laugh too much. I didn't want Joseph to think I was laughing at him. I was still thinking about the gas station incident and the disc looks so bootleg. That's just a working title,
4: Joseph said and forget about the discard. You've never seen anything like this game before. It puts Tekken, Street Fighter,
3: KOF, all those frauds to shame." Joseph inserted the disc into my PS5, and the console immediately began making noises like an airplane engine. I gave Joseph a terrified look. I had spent weeks trying to get a PS5 back in December, And now it sounded like whatever Joseph stuck inside of it was destroying it. Joseph saw the look of concern on my face and held up a hand as if to say, chill out. Why didn't you chill out at the gas station, Joe, is what I wanted to say. I kept quiet. Eventually, my PS5 stopped sounding like a plane about to lift off and eased back into a quiet, steady rhythm. A thumbnail appeared on the PS5 homepage. It was a blank disc, the usual thumbnail when the PS5 is reading something that's not officially licensed or that it's not aware of. Joseph picked up the controller and clicked on the thumbnail. The game started. Unlike most fighting games, Fighting Game had no cinematic intro showing off all the cool characters. Instead, we were shown a black screen with white text that simply read, Press any button to start. Joseph did. Then, another black screen with white text. Single player. Multiplayer. Joseph clicked on multiplayer and threw me the other controller. Faintly, I was aware of how wrong Joseph looked holding a controller. I couldn't remember the last time I'd seen him use a controller instead of the fight stick. He took a quick glance at his luggage, but it didn't look like he had brought a fight stick with him. It was like the Joseph in front of me was some bizarro version of him that came from another dimension. Then we were shown a curious thing on the screen. Most fighting games will let you choose what stage you wanna play in from various options. And most fighting games will give you multiple characters to choose from. Most games will start off with something like five to 10 characters at launch. But fighting game only presented us with one stage on the screen. There was a picture of a bar and underneath the image it read, Manchester, England, Bar," And there were only two characters to choose from underneath that. One was a man wearing a red Manchester United jersey, the other was a man wearing a blue Manchester City jersey. Joseph saw my curious look and said, The stage and characters change every time you start a new match.
4: It's always a new location, with two new characters to choose from. Wild, right?
3: Here, I'll take the guy in blue," and he selected the man in the Manchester City jersey. That left the man in the red Manchester United jersey. I selected him. What followed next is what I can only describe as the greatest fighting game I have ever played. Not only were the graphics some of the most photorealistic graphics I'd ever seen, but the gameplay itself was masterful. There were no supernatural movesets in fighting game, no energy blasts or anything like that. The game had a realistic fighting style that was more akin to a UFC game than a traditional fighter, but the movement was smooth. Movement is a big appeal in fighting games. You never want your characters to feel too heavy or too light. Fighting game struck the perfect balance. You could also interact with the stage, picking up stools or whatever was by you and hitting your opponent with it. At the end of the match, Joseph picked up a pool stick and impaled me with it, depleting what was left of my health bar. Blood ran down the pool stick as game over appeared on the screen, which was then replaced by the word rematch. We played several more matches And just like Joseph said, every time we started a new match, we were given a new location with two new characters to choose from. The locations ranged from all over the world, from Australia to China to Ireland to Russia, etc. One stage was set in a church in Brazil and the characters were a priest and a nun. The characters were always specific to the location in some funny way like that. At least at the time I thought it was funny knowing what I know now. And for the first time that night, Joseph felt like the old Joseph again. We laughed gleefully as we played. He even gave me tips like back in the old days. I started getting a good hold of the game when something strange happened. The next stage was set in the US. It was not the first stage we played that had been set in the US, but it was significant for a few reasons. The stage was set in a gas station, a familiar-looking gas station. Underneath the image, it simply read, Wisconsin, United States, gas station. We were in Wisconsin. And the two characters, can you guess? One was an old man, and the other was a younger man wearing what looked like a gas station uniform. The two characters looked too familiar. But it can't be them, I told myself. That was impossible. We were just playing a video game, right? A stupid bootleg fighting game that Joseph brought over from Japan. Dude, am I crazy? I began to say. Or do those guys look like the guys we saw earlier tonight? Joseph stared at me and then broke out into laughter. It was a horrible-sounding laugh. A mean-spirited laugh. A laugh that said, Joke's on you, fuckface. The same laughter Clyde and the boys spewed at us as we walked out of the bowling alley that night. You're crazy, Joseph said. Here, I'll take the young guy. You get the old man. Joseph destroyed me. I mean, he utterly destroyed me. I watched in horror as the young gas station attendant stomped on the old man's head and then threw his face into the icy machine. When the match was over, Joseph let out an exhaustive, almost orgasmic-sounding scream. And Joseph had seemed so angry and determined while playing, like a man on a mission. There, Joseph said.
4: How do you like
3: that, you old fuck? A kind of unreality began to wash over me. It all started to feel wrong. I began to feel lightheaded. I could hear Joseph laughing and cheering in triumph, but he sounded far away. Then, gathering myself, I told him I was done playing for the night. Sure thing, dude, Joseph said as I walked towards my room. I'm gonna play for a bit more. Wild game, right? That night, I had a terribly vivid dream. I was back in the bowling alley from all those years ago. I was walking out with Joseph and Kathy, our heads hung low, and everyone else in the room was pointing and laughing at us. Only, it's not Joseph and Kathy anymore. It's the old man and the gas station attendant. Both of their faces are bloodied and bruised. And there's another Joseph in the room, an older Joseph with greasy, slicked-back hair and deep, sunken eyes. And he's standing in the corner, and he's pointing at us and laughing with the rest of the crowd, laughing so wide it looks like he's screaming. I woke up the next morning in a cold sweat. Dim sunlight slanted through the blinds. I rubbed my eyes and, for a moment, was in that blissful state of ignorance when you wake up. And then it all came flooding back to me, when you really don't remember the events of the night before. Joseph. The gas station. Fighting game. Joseph was sleeping on the couch when I walked into the living room. He hadn't even bothered to pull out the bed. A PS5 controller was sitting idly on his chest. He was sleeping, but he looked like a corpse. The only sign that he was alive was a thin rattling sound that escaped his mouth. He sounded vaguely like a cat choking. I had had many sleepovers with Joseph over our childhood, and I don't remember him ever breathing like that. I turned on the TV and began to flick through the channels. I stopped when I came across the local morning news. My heart sank and then it began to beat rapidly. There had been a fight at the gas station. No, not a fight, a murder. The news anchor described how a local 24-hour gas station attendant had been arrested for beating an elderly customer to death. They had a reporter on the scene who was interviewing a witness. I've never seen anything like it, man, the witness told the reporter. They just started fighting. I mean, out of nowhere. One minute they were talking, and the next they were at each other's throats. He clobbered the old dude. I mean, whooped him. When the reporter asked the witness if he or anyone else had tried to stop the fight, the witness said that he had simply watched. That it had never crossed his mind to step in. He said it had been like watching a movie. Or a video game. The witness began to look confused and told the reporter he didn't want to talk anymore. I turned the TV off. That same unreality from the night before began to wash over me. I looked over at the couch. Joseph was wide awake. And he was smiling. Cat's out of the bag, dude. This can't be real my voice was thin. I was sitting in the corner of my living room, rocking back and forth. Joseph had just attempted to tell me what the deal was, what the game truly was, and what it truly did. How a man that he had met in Japan had given him the game. A man he greatly revered. A man that Joseph simply called Player One. But I couldn't believe it. Refused to believe it. It's all real, Joseph said. He was still grinning. His sunken eyes now looked wet and bright, and they were so very wide. You expect me to believe that all those matches we played, all those fights, those were all real people. In my head, I saw two men in a UK bar fighting to the death. One in a red Manchester United jersey, the other in a blue Manchester City jersey. Not video game characters, but real men. I saw a priest and a nun fighting in a church in Brazil. I saw all the countless people we had controlled the night before. Not characters, but people. And the thing all these people had in common? The terrified look on their faces. Terrified because they had suddenly lost complete control of their bodies. You saw the news report yourself, Joseph said, spreading his
4: hands. You knew it when you saw the gas station in the game last night.
3: You told me it wasn't them, I yelled. I didn't want to freak you out, Joseph said. Oh, mission fucking accomplished then, I said sarcastically. Did you, did you put them in the game somehow? No, Joseph said, and he sounded disappointed as if he wished he could control who appeared in the game. The game decides who becomes a selectable character.
4: I was shocked to see them, although it's not the first time. I've seen someone I know in the game. It's rare, but it
3: happens." And a terrible grin spread across his face. "'This is all wrong!' I said. "'We're doing God's work,' Joseph said and that ferociously hungry look appeared on his face again. The look of a starving man about to chow on some roadkill.
4: That's what player one said to me, what he taught me over the past two years. This game was given to us by God and the players chosen are his sacrifices. It's his work. I know this is a lot to take in, but you have no idea
3: what I've seen. If you just get out i hurled the words at joseph joseph shrugged as if he had been expecting this i eyed my ps5 wearily i knew that deep in its guts was the disc for fighting game sitting in the console like some gray dead tongue i ran towards the console and hit the eject button the disc lolled out of the console, and now it looked like a tongue with crude black marker written all over it. I grabbed the disc and snapped it in half. I turned towards Joseph, a triumphant look on my face. It died when I saw him. Joseph was smiling, again as if he had been expecting this. Then he walked over to his luggage and took out a black binder. He opened it and revealed countless gray disks. Pages and pages of them sitting in gray transparent sleeves. Each one of them scrawled over with a black sharpie. Each one of them read the same thing. Fighting game. I told you, I have big plans, Joseph said. I really wanted you to be part of this. I felt the Doritos and Red Bull from the night before coming up through my stomach. Joseph, that game, it's evil. Can't you fucking see that? We're the reason that the old man is dead. Jesus. Jesus Christ.
4: You don't get it. It's God's-
3: Just get out! I yelled. Please, Joseph, just get out and don't come back. I can't be a part of this. Joseph looked actually hurt by this. His face scrunched up in a frown and it sickened me that I saw my old friend again for a moment. The Joseph who had taught me everything about fighting games. Joseph who had been my closest friend. He looked genuinely hurt. But the look left as soon as it came, replaced by the grinning ghoul my friend had become. And there was another face there too, a relentlessly angry-looking face. You're lost, Joseph said, gathering his sparse luggage. He never let go of the black binder. He held it in a death grip the same way he had held the Red Bull can the night before. He walked towards the door and then turned towards me. We don't choose
4: who appears in the game. But who knows, maybe one day I'll see you in there. Wouldn't that be a riot? But I wonder, should I choose to play as you, or
3: choose to fight you?" Get out. He laughed. I don't know where Joseph lives now. I haven't spoken to him, and I've only seen him once since then. It was about a month ago, in May. I was driving home and coincidentally drove past the old bowling alley although maybe it wasn't a coincidence. Maybe there was some part in my mind that knew he would be there. I knew that I needed to see him one last time. Joseph was there in the parking lot. He was wearing all black and was surrounded by at least a dozen men who were also wearing all black. And I swear one of them looked just like Clyde. He was older looking and balding but he had the same pinched face. Each man had a controller or fight stick in one hand, and in the other hand, they were carrying a white slip. And I knew for certain that in each of those white slips was a gray disc with a crude black marker. Joseph was speaking to the men. I couldn't hear what he was saying, but he appeared to be a drill sergeant speaking to fresh recruits. They all looked so angry, angry at the world. There was another man there too. He was the only one not holding a controller or a disc. He was an incredibly tall and thin looking man. He stood a little behind Joseph with his arms behind his back. If Joseph was a drill sergeant, this man carried himself like a general. I watched Joseph and I thought our eyes met for a split second and then Joseph smiled that terrible smile the last thing I saw before my car turned the corner was Joseph and the rest of the men marching into the bowling alley I guess Joseph isn't banned anymore or maybe Todd the manager just doesn't recognize him they marched into that bowling alley not like men about to play a video game but like men who were going to go about some great work god's work i suppose i don't play fighting games anymore
1: i hope you enjoyed I used to love fighting games, until one terrified me, as written by Sir Ulrich von Lichten and performed by Eric Peabody and Kyle Stroud. Author Sir Ulrich von Lichten's work can be found on Reddit under the same name that's S-I-R-U-L-R-I-C-H-V-O-N-L-I-C-H-T-E-N. If you enjoyed Mr. Peabody's performance, you can hear more of him on the Chilling Tales YouTube channel, where he holds the second-place championship title for 2019's Evil Idol competition, as well as recently becoming the brand-new host for Horror Hill, now approaching its seventh season. You'll also find more of his work on his website at www.vikingguitar.com. Kyle Stroud's work can be found here on our network as well as on his website at That's kylestroud.com. That's K Y L E S T R O U D.com. Now, our weekly Descent into the Depths has just about come to a close. But before we go, I'd like to take a moment to thank you for joining us for tonight and remind you to take a few moments to stop by our iTunes page and leave Chilling Tales for Dark Nights a five-star review in a kind word. And follow us, please, on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, if you haven't already. And of course, subscribe to us on YouTube, where you can find an archive of our work going back to 2012. And consider signing up as a patron at our website, ChillingTalesForDarkNights.com, to show your support and get all of our content ad-free.